Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, and today I'm joined, as always, by site publisher Chris Cartman, as well as reporters Jacob Rudner and Trevor Booth. Guys, Chris, how we doing today? Doing great, Rob. Enjoyed uh, the little trip to uh, the Bay Area. You, know, you were there, got to see your family and mm-hmm. hang out with some people. Yeah, it was really fun being back out there, and uh, we're back here with, uh, with ASU having a bye week, and uh, we still got coverage, though. Of course. What about you, boys? Doing good, Rob. It's good to have you back on the podcast this week. I appreciate that. You say we still got coverage, like you know, like people are going to be surprised. By that. <laughs> they know what we do. Well, I will say Mason did a nice job uh, on a, on a on a difficult podcast, the premium podcasts on Thursday, previewing opponents. Those aren't the easy ones. Are you even necessary anymore? <laughs> Maybe not. Stay yeah. tuned. I missed you, Rob. It was. It's good to have you back, but I, I missed you last week. It's nice. Oh, the, the squad is back <laughs> together. Uh, as you guys for, did have a good baseball talk today. Rob, yeah, we, we did have some good talk today about baseball. Rob cried at a baseball game. Rob I cried was, at a Rob baseball was game sad on at Sunday. A baseball My game. father and I uh, were at Oracle Park on Sunday afternoon watching Bruce Bochy say goodbye to baseball after 44 years. It was pretty emotional. But we're not actually doing a baseball podcast. We're doing a football podcast, ASU football more specifically, and the Sun Devils beat Cal, the number 15th team in the nation, or the past week, this the the 15th team in the nation. They were 4-0 going into the game, but ASU knocked them off 24-17 at Memorial Stadium. Chris and I were there and had coverage uh, right after the game and, and the, throughout the weekend uh, about ASU's performance. But Chris, it started out as a back-and-forth game early on, uh, an interception before uh, the first half ended when Cal was in, in field goal position, but it was not Chase Garbers. It was his backup. Devin Modster, who was in because Garbers had a pretty severe shoulder injury, had to miss the rest of the game in the second quarter after looking pretty good to start. That really seemed like it changed the game. I tried Crosswell with that interception, and then both teams go into half at seven and a completely different ball game. it seemed like, in the second half. Right, so kind of just starting with the beginning, we saw ASU put together a really good drive um, that included a counter run that I highlighted on a third and eight situation where there was really good blocking and uh, you know Benjamin had probably his best game of the year and um, great run on that play and then got the touchdown breaking two tackles mm-hmm. against an overload that was a sign that ASU's run game uh, which Herm Edwards like to say run game travels but it really hadn't really <laughs> done that well this to the season but they got it going and then Cal responded with a long drive of its own right. on that drive you'll mm-hmm. you'll recall that Chase Lucas gave up two uh, completions. The first was a cover two in which Willie Hartz, who was playing for Cam Phillips, also didn't uh, do a good job of staying as deep as the deepest receiver on his side of the field. Right. And um, and then there was a double move by a receiver that beat uh, Lucas for a touchdown. So, you know, every, everybody's remembers Chase Lucas had the bad game at Utah last year. Um, there was some, you mean Colorado, Colorado, pardon me. Yeah. Last year. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think there were some questions about whether this one was going to spiral out for ASU because remember Kobe Williams in play and uh, we found right. out subsequently, I mean, he had a, they said he had a migraine, but then we found out also that he's having uh, surgery on his hand. Right. So you had Lucas and Jack Jones out there. Um, that was the, that was the total scoring in the first half, you know, seven to seven, uh, I think Chase Lucas did buckle down and play a lot better after that. Mm-hmm. And um, and then, of course, the second half kind of got started. What did you guys think about the first half and any any sort of the 
particulars. I just thought it was a completely different game when Garbers went out, especially with Pal, with Cal's passing in the second half. Um, we'll talk a little bit about adjustments and what happened in a little, but basically outside of that 12-play, 58-yard drive that Cal had to open the second half when it was all rushing plays, they pretty much got shut down in the second half. I think they only had 11 mm -hmm. total yards in the fourth quarter. ASU went to a 50 front on defense and kind of just denied everything at the point of attack and made uh, Modster go through the air and made him force him to make plays, and it just didn't work out for Cal. You're getting ahead, man. I said the, <laughs> I said the first half. But yeah, <laughs> that, that's all true, though. But I, a good point about uh, Garber's getting knocked out. That was Darian Butler who caught a piece of his foot as he was scrambling, and Garber's went down really hard on his right side. Looked like a shoulder or a collarbone injury. He's going to be out for a while. That's going to hurt Cal's you know, chances in the north and uh, kind of derails their season to a large degree. You know, We don't know what would have happened if uh, he would have played mm -hmm. um, you know, throughout the whole game. But, uh, Jacob, what did you think about just watching the first half? Uh, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. I, like Trevor said, I think that the game, the, the pace of everything was thoroughly changed when Garbers went down. But I think that, that looking at the first half, there was a lot of there were a lot of good defensive moments. I mean, Chase Lucas did have that broken coverage where he allowed the touchdown, but outside of that particular play, I think that he had two plays on that drive. Yeah, aside of those those, those two particular plays, excuse <laughs> the me, long play and the I, touchdown. I actually thought Willie Hart's looked pretty good. I, I I think that there were some rough spots, and and we'll cover those a little bit more in depth in a second when we specifically talk about ASU's defense. But at, uh, in the first half and on the game as a whole, and I know that's getting ahead a little bit. I think that Willie Hartz actually did a pretty good job filling in for Cam Phillips, and he looked he looked good in his first start. Okay, so a few other things. It, the first half was also ASU getting into Cal's territory uh, like two to three occasions, mm -hmm. and then Christian Zendejas missed his first field goal from 31 or 30-something, some 34 yards, something like that, and then he missed another field goal. Right that came on a questionable decision by ASU. You'll recall ASU went on a – they ran the ball on a third and four. You know, Benjamin loses a yard, and then facing what would be a 50-yard field goal or go for it or a short punt, ASU decided to try to kick a field goal. It looked beyond the range of Zendejas from everything that we've seen, especially kicking in pregame warm-ups. Uh, Brandon Reese didn't even travel – because uh, he's got an injury, and also he went, attended a family funeral. Mm -hmm. We don't know about his status for Washington State. He's on a week-to-week -week basis. And then the interception that you guys talked about um, after Monster came into the game, uh, that was a cover-two situation. Monster didn't even really account for the safety crosswell on that side of the field, who just came over in the end zone and elevated and, and made, the, made the play. And, and that was a very big play in this game. I think that's important that we don't gloss over that because Cal uh, started with the ball in the second half. They drive down the field. They score a touchdown. If they don't do anything on that drive, if they don't turn the ball over, they're getting three points at the end of the half because they were on the 20, I believe. Um, that that's a blown opportunity for Cal and, and a pass that I know we talked about on the post game, Chris. You just can't make it at a spot like that where you're not confident that you're going to be able to fit it in there or at least get it out of bounds. Um, I was pretty surprised by the by the fact that Cal took that shot. Well, it, Monster's not that young of a quarterback, right? He's been at UCLA, Cal. It, it is third and eight, but they're on the twenty yard line, which means you're going to get a field goal out of this. The field goal is right. going to put you ahead with momentum and feeling good about yourself going into the, the half, as mm -hmm. you're saying. 
and then you get the ball to start the second half, right? So that definitely was a big mistake. And and then, of course, Cal came out. I think it was obvious that Cal was going to run the ball pretty consistently in that first drive, and it ended up running the ball 12 straight plays all the way down the field for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. And so here, this is sort of like a wonky thing, and people have to well, hang with me on this for a while, but when Cal was going with 11 personnel formations – in which the tight end was in a wingback or an H-back alignment, ASU was going to five players on the line of scrimmage. But sometimes with only one backer and then Evan Fields kind of depending on the rest of the look that Cal gave, okay? Mm-hmm. But when um, the tight end was not in an H-back or a wingback alignment and was like flexed out, ASU would then go to its three down look. Okay. And they'd back off the linebackers and Cal ran pretty successfully, of course, in this drive, in my opinion, because ASU wasn't going to more man coverage and more of the five, two look that we saw against Michigan state. So successful, so successfully. Right. right? Um, and, uh, while ASU did bring at times five guys to the line of scrimmage, it didn't do it in the normal way that it had been doing it Mm -hmm. with the linebackers on the edges of the field and everybody pushing vertically uh, to just close up all those run gaps and force uh, Modster to throw the football. And so um, later on in that drive, there were a few of the shorter runs in which ASU did go to it and had some decent success, but not enough. And then what we saw – uh, subsequently in the game after the touchdown that gave Cal the lead. Um, and this is kind of jumping forward, but we'll, we'll get to some of the other stuff is in ASU's subsequent defensive series, immediately first play on first downs, they come out in the five, two look mm-hmm. with Evan fields in the box next to another inside backer, five guys at the line of scrimmage and Cal just could not run the ball at all against that look. And modster, was just very like, you know, unable to do anything in the passing game. Definitely. And Cal ended up with only 11 yards in the fourth quarter. Um, what do you guys think about what happened in ASU's response to that touchdown drive? Because ASU, after Cal takes the lead, comes right back and gets points. Yeah, and I don't want to jump too far. I guess I'll dive into the fourth quarter drive as well, but. Just the fact that Eno Benjamin was able to really take off on some of those drives. And look at that the one you're talking about, Chris, right after immediately Cal scored to start the second half. Eno Benjamin had 29 yards on that play. And then in the drive immediately after, got the Cal went ahead with the field goal in the fourth quarter. Um, I believe he had uh, like another th- uh, 31. So 60 of his yards in that game um, of his 100 yards came in those two responsive drives. And when Herm Edwards was talking about just reviewing the film and what he saw from Eno in that game, it was the blocking was good too, but at the same time, Eno really willed himself in a lot of those runs and went through a couple tackles in order to make things happen on those drives. Right, so the um, ASU's immediate response after that Cal drive for touchdown was uh, aided by a face mask penalty on Brandon Ayuk on his return. And so that that enabled ASU to start the ball at midfield, right? And then from there, you had Eno Benjamin 16-yard carry. He gets a couple more. He gets like three carries in a row. ASU's like, okay, 
you're going to pound the ball at us. We're just going to come back and pound the ball right at you guys. And, um, and then you had the uh, completion to Brandon. I, you guys remember that play followed by, you know, you know, Benjamin's four yard run for the touchdown. That was a, that was a big answer in that game, right? If, if ASU hadn't um, been able to get anything going offensively, had to punt Cal had just, you know, yeah. been successful. It sort of stole the momentum back in the game from Cal. Um, and then from there, we just we just didn't really see Cal. You know, I don't even know if they got across midfield again, other than, of course, when Jaden Daniels fumbled the ball on the third and ten, which um, you know that that was a they only Cal had a four man pressure, two ASU linemen gave up ground way too easily. It was I think it was Lasoya and Steve Miller. Miller actually gets hurt on that play. And you see uh, Daniels not secure the ball. Uh, then Cal comes out, tries to run. ASU's in the 5-2 front. They don't go anywhere. Three three and out, they get zero yards, but they get a field goal, right? So the field goal puts Cal ahead 17-14. And then after that, ASU responds again with this six-minute-plus drive that took up, like, half of the middle of the fourth quarter. Like, like 6-0-9. 6-0-9, like, the middle of the fourth quarter. And ASU just pumped it all the way down i think a 75 yard drive you know benjamin had 40 something yards 15 plays for asu on that drive really like you said just just using the clock and pounding it down the golden bears throats yeah and it seemed like just stealing the will of the game right away they did and the thing i want to say about that also is i thought rob likens did a really good job with some of the play calling um situationally he saved the counter run that they ran successfully on third and eight in the first quarter for this situation when Cal wouldn't have been expecting on a second and 10, which led to a 13-yard Benjamin run. And then he ran the mesh play only once in the game that he then commented on after the game, um, you know, that's my play. The backstory on that for our audience is, uh, and I'm going to be writing about this, but I think it was in May. I go into ASU's football offices for an interview, and uh, Rob Likens is there doing some work. I pop into his office. I just we're having a conversation. He's watching film. I go, just curious, how many times did you guys run running back mesh last year? And he was like, I don't know. Let me look it up. So because they have it all categorized, right? So I go, you guys probably ran it like less than ten times. He goes, uh, we ran it eight times. And I said, well, how many of those were successful? And he goes, um, seven. Seven were successful. And how many of those were explosive plays out of the seven? He goes, I think all seven were. So they ran this play, uh, and the play running back mesh, essentially what it is is you uh, will send your receivers working on slants across the field, and then you'll run the running back on a wheel route. looks like about a third of a circle, okay, starting from the bottom of a circle around the edge on the other side away from the receivers, and it creates this open space, and the coverage is generally such that uh, a linebacker has to run with Eno Benjamin in space, and that's going to be really hard, even if they are quick enough to adjust to it. And so they re- they call this play. It works out for a, a pretty good gain and a first down. And then um, they ran behind Cabral, who had his best game yet, a 93 grade from Dave Christensen, to score the go-ahead uh, touchdown mm-hmm. and really put the exclamation point on Eno Benjamin's excellent day, right? Uh, Cal then wasn't able to do anything. Uh, you know, then they called their three timeouts 
uh, on AS when ASU got the ball back, Cal got the ball back. And Zendaya's kind of redeemed himself. He made a 43-yard oh, yes. field goal right after that, like you're saying. Uh, my apologies, right? He gets the field goal after Cal had give, given the ball up on a kind of a long one, 43 yards? 43 yeah. yards. Yeah, so thank you for that. And um, and Cal just couldn't throw the football. And uh, no. Shari Crosswell made a nice play uh, to get his hand in on a ball uh, as uh, – you know, the, the fourth down play in the previous drive. And then right. uh, ASU was, you know, they basically had the quarterback sacked and then he threw the ball away kind of late. And that was that was the end of it. ASU took three knees. And and uh, it needs to be said, Rob, we've talked about it in our in our copy, but this was only the second time in program history. Yeah. And the first time since ASU's Rose Bowl team in 1986 that ASU won back-to-back games on the road over ranked teams. And so that's a, that's a feather in the cap for Herm Edwards who uh, won the Dodd award for coach of the, the week, the second time that he's won it this year in just, you know, a month and a half, mm-hmm. not even. And uh, on last year, uh, Brian Kelly, Notre Dame's coach won it twice. Nobody's won it uh, twice in a season other than that. And it was, today was the first time he found out about it too. He, he learned yeah. <laughs> that he won the Dodd Award. When a reporter asked him a question about it. During his press conference, yeah. and it was the first time that he had known for both times that he had won the award, that this was, this was anything that was happening with him. And it was funny to see his reaction. One thing I do want to circle back to, though, quickly was we, we talked about Christians and Dejas. He went 0 for 2 on his first two attempts and then made that third field goal. He's 2 for his last five on field goal attempts. And, and it is... Worth mention because at practice on Tuesday, we're recording the podcast on Tuesday, we watched Josh Plaster take a significant amount more field goal practice attempts than he had in weeks past. All long ones. All long ones. And and it brings back an interesting conversation that you and I had, Chris, about how with Zendejas, there is not a lot of leg strength. He's a He's an accurate kicker, but he doesn't have – he's not a powerful kicker. And there is a possibility – that the team could choose to use two kickers, one for lengthy field goals and one for more short-range stuff, which would be Zendejas's job. But Plaster was kicking field goals between 40 and 50 yards. But not too well. Not well. Say. Like, it, it, it looked like a trial run that did not go well. sporadic. So, and I th- uh, ASU better, fans... It looks better than Zendejas kicking from that distance. Though, well, I yes, because he actually has the leg to, to yeah. get there. But ASU fans are asking a lot about Brandon Reese because it was said to be a minor injury right at the outset of the season and here we are five games in and he hasn't played um all we could say is that we've seen him kicking regularly right like he's been in practice kicking in the last few weeks and it just seems like they tried to get him ready to go against Colorado and he was on the field kicking they didn't like the way it looked I, so I, I will say though that watching him on, during Tuesday's practice the practice where Plaster was kicking it did not look good it, it, Ruiz no, was kicking. He doesn't look like he's it, as comfortable. It not his look leg good. doesn't look as good right now, and, and he doesn't even look very. Uh, his body language just isn't very positive right now. So that's something that I was looking at as a thing where he could be out a couple weeks at the beginning of the season. Well, you're getting close to week six, yeah. week seven next week when ASU's back against Washington State. You need him back soon if you're ASU, and I don't know if you're going to have him back. Well, he's. He's got a leg, you know, muscle problem. I'm, 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 I'm sure. And when that's the case, and that's like the most important thing that you have for a kicker. It's not mm-hmm. like, you know, it's not like a guy who has a, uh, a hand injury like Kobe Williams or Chase Lucas who they're able to play through that, or a hamstring with Tyler Johnson. Like if you're kicking leg, 
is a problem. It's not basically almost 100%. Right. You know, you got serious issues. So I did want to kind of go back because I, I jumped around a little bit, but I wanted to say that I thought Rob Likens did a very good job with his play calling on um, ASU's game-winning drive. And really even earlier than that, with some of the route structures against man coverage, ASU had gone to more empty sets. That's a trend that we've been seeing, right? When you know you're going to force man coverage when you got five wide receivers. And what ASU was able to do, whether it was trips into the boundary or trips to the field, is they were able to run one of their receivers behind the routes, releasing from other receivers, knowing that Cal wasn't going to banjo those. Banjo is a term that means switching the coverages, depending on how the, the guys crisscross on routes. So Cal's not banjoing, and so Cal's having to, to, to track the outside receiver all the way across two other routes or one other route or you know one route on the other side of the field, and just they just weren't getting there, okay? And this was such a stark uh, contrast to Cal because without Garbers, Cal needed to do some creative things like this with its offensive possessions. They didn't have them. And they weren't running any of these bunch sets where they were running one one of the three receivers in washes um, behind other guys. They were just trying to have guys beat guys, right? Like hitches and slants and things like that. And listen, that's not going to get it done when you have a quarterback who's not as good, not right. as polished, not as accurate, not as on time. So I just want to make clear that ASU's uh, offensive play calling advantage was very, very decided in this game. And that, obviously it's it, it's it, it's advantaged by having Jaden Daniels as a quarterback, but he's still a freshman. And by the way, Jaden Daniels missed multiple big shot opportunities in this game. He had two touchdowns that he rejected throwing, okay, because he, one he was sort of scrambling on, didn't see uh, Ayuk over the middle of the field open. Another one he had uh, Pearsall, I believe it was, who was going to come straight open. After Likens had did a good job adjusting, um, he motioned receiver from one side to the other, which then created confusion with how Cal was going to cover it. Mm -hmm. They busted on two guys on that play. So I just want to say, there's a lot of like anti Rob Likens people out there, but I assure you from watching this game closely that ASU had the better offensive coordinator in this game. Yeah. One thing also interesting to me was Jordan Duncan came into this game as kind of the wide receiver. I think most people were looking at on, on the Cal side as the guy that can do the most against you. He well, didn't have a catch. Well, it, and, and Kiko Crawford was, was knocked out of the game and didn't play. Mm -hmm. Cal had some injury problems beyond just yeah, Garber's. But yes, to your point, I agree, uh, and that's partly where Jack Jones came in. Jack Jones had a very nice game, as you alluded to in your right. uh, analysis so and, and five best players of the game. I mean, I, I was really impressed with what he did. Chase Lucas, he got a lot better after Trevon Clark had those two big catches on him. Um, and, and it's like you said, it could have snowballed. It's it's the kind of game where against Colorado last year it did snowball. Yeah, and well, this year, this year, like you were saying, the secondary was able to put a stop to it. They didn't. Like, Tamarcus Davis is not bad, but they didn't have like that relief guy they could go to like they had all throughout the season to this point. Mm -hmm. 
And so Chase Lucas, he needed to step up. But the reason that Jack Jones made my top five as opposed to Crosswell is because nobody did anything on his side of the field. And when that's the case, that allows a coordinator a lot of uh, latitude on what he's able to call, mm -hmm. the types of things that he's able to dial up. Crosswell played well. He had the two pass breakups. He had uh, the interception, of course, which was key in the end zone. That's kind of a routine play for a safety, though, if I'm being honest. Maybe you don't catch it because you're, you know, you're, you're going up in traffic to make the play. But you should at least be able to break that up, and that's all that would have mattered really in that situation other than maybe Cal getting a field goal. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I just think that what Jack Jones did was really, really excellent. He gave up one hitch on a third and six that, con that converted, but then three plays later he stops a third down play and Cal ends up having to punt. So he mm -hmm. actually re resolved himself in, in that play. So, um, you know, the only thing I would say is that Danny Gonzalez – you know, he wasn't happy with with what they did against Colorado in some respects. And in this game, I think they were a little bit slow to adjust in the first drive. And that's that sort of contributed to Cal to Cal going down and scoring on the 12 runs. Other than that, I think that he did a pretty good job and that they had a good game plan. We who didn't Rob, you picked Cal to win. Which one of you guys? I think Trevor as well. I picked ASU to win. Oh, yeah. okay. was it Jacob? Yeah, I, I picked Cal. So here's the thing. What we said, I think we said on the premium podcast, Michigan State's better than Cal. Okay? Like, I thought they're, like their personnel, their talent, everything. And then you take Garbers out of the lineup, and that's a whole other issue. But it's also a tougher place to play than Cal. And I just, you know, I picked, I, I was off by one point in my prediction. And I didn't, the game didn't go exactly the way I anticipated. But nonetheless, I, I thought that it wasn't the, – the ESPN FPI was a big difference that, than the, the rankings, right? Cal was like 38 and, and 15 in the rankings. And I just – I just still to this – like right now, I don't think Cal's better than ASU. I, I just think that those teams are kind of close, and it depends on what happens in the game if everybody's healthy. What I want to make a note of, and I think it's really important that, Chris, you, you made sure to include in your reporting over the weekend – Jaden Daniels did not have a flashy game in this performance, but he had exactly what ASU needed to win this game. He he had one costly turnover, and he knew it right away when he when he turned the ball over in his own territory because he wasn't taking care of it enough on that fumble that ended up being Cal's go-ahead uh, field goal attempt that, that they did convert. But his running specifically was so effective in this game, picking up multiple third downs with his legs. And Herm Edwards talked about it today after the his Tuesday press conference saying, He's doing a really good job staying healthy and making sure to get down as soon as he possibly can. He's just poised and is solid and is helping this team that still looks like they're trying to get their legs under them before they really know what they can expect week in and week out. He's got to be careful, though. It's, it's all Everything he said is true there, but he got sacked and the side of his head hit the ground pretty hard. And that's a lot of times going to end up knocking a guy out of a game and maybe for longer than that. So... And this is, you know, he's skinny, right? He's he's not the type of guy that can take a lot of hits. And Edwards was knocking on wood today on the table when he was asked about this in the press conference because he's like – says the only time he's yelling is like, Jaden, get down. Jaden, get out of bounds, right? So um, – but, yes, when you Rob Likens and you know you can send everybody on go routes and your quarterback can scramble for 8, 10, 12 yards to pick up first downs as Daniels had, that's like a big – additional you know weapon that you have and and Daniels is um he's really talented Rob I mean 
Cal returned 20 interceptions from a team that was among the top three in interceptions in the season last year. How many balls did he put in jeopardy? I mean, I don't know that there were any that were like, you know, jeopardy balls. And he's missed some guys that have come open for what would be touchdowns. But he's also more conservative than he is more aggressive, which is kind of what you want in a quarterback. But at the same time, what's going to make him, and this was a conversation on a board with Gad about, and I love the conversation. To me, what I think is going to make Jaden Daniels great is he has a unnatural comfort and poise in the pocket. He will sit back there and just like look super comfortable bouncing on his feet three, four, five, six seconds. And it's probably too long. He's making his offensive lineman work harder than they probably need to. And he's going to have to be able to get the ball out quicker in some situations against better defenses. But I promise you, by seeing the coverages unfold the way that he is and the types of route structures that ASU is running into those coverages, and by his willingness to look around and scan the field and be comfortable back there, as opposed to a guy who's staring down one target and then scrambling, right, or getting happy feet in the pocket and not knowing what to do. And that that type of a quarterback is never going to accelerate his development at the same rate that Jaden Daniels is going to be able to. So I'm just saying that Jaden Daniels, he's already a good quarterback in the Pac-12, obviously, but he's going to become a lethal, dominant player as he gets bigger, stronger, more athletic, understands defenses better. Um, the best quarterback, I think, that we will ever see at ASU, actually. Wow. Just to put some numbers behind what you just said, Chris, he ranks second right now in the Pac-12 in total passing yards. He ranks third right now in total rushing yards by a quarterback in the Pac-12, and he's one of just two Pac-12 quarterbacks, minimum 130 pass attempts, that have thrown one or fewer interceptions. That's the key. The key is when you have a good defense and your quarterback doesn't turn the ball over mm -hmm. and you're comfortable punting, Right. Michael Turk, you know, he had one bad punt in that game and on the road he hasn't been as good, but he's a guy that can flip the field, especially when you're playing at home. Jane Daniels is a great harmonizing fit mm -hmm. for what they are and what they're right. trying to be. And even and he is still just scratching the surface of where he's going to be. If he's not one of the best quarterbacks in the Pac-12, if not the country, by the time he's a junior, I'd be pretty surprised. And now looking at the Pac-12 South and, and where all the teams are shaping up, Colorado and Arizona at the top at 1-0 in conference play. USC right behind at 2-1. ASU behind tied with Utah and UCLA at 1-1 in conference. Utah and ASU both have the two best records, though, overall in the Pac-12 South. Chris, when you look at that, where do you feel ASU really is at with their season five games in? Well, Utah was the clear favorite before the season by all media and every prognosticators I, I still think that even though utah had that big slip-up game um that utah is still the team to beat and i think asu before the season as i saw it was the most likely team to threaten utah uh and i still believe that's the case arizona yes undefeated beat ucla but one and i mean what is that like it's still too early to really <laughs> yeah. put anything into that UCLA is giving up 60-something points, and, you know, like you just can't – you just don't know what you're going to get from them on a week-to-week -week basis, right? Definitely. USC has um, – Slovis is going to be coming back probably after his concussion misses last game. 
you know, they, 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 they beat Utah and play really well, and then they go and they don't really play that well against Washington, and their fans are up in arms, and it just seems like there's kind of tension in the program. Mm-hmm. So I think at the same time, all that being said, had Utah lost to Washington State, I would have seen – I would have envisioned a scenario in which the winner of the South would have had three wins in a tiebreaker. Three losses, pardon me, in a tiebreaker. Yeah. As it stands now, I think maybe Utah can get away with only losing two games in the conference. I don't know that any other team in the South is really capable of only losing two games. So I think that uh, ASU needs to beat Washington State at home. You can't lose your home games and expect that you're going to win the South, right? And then the game at Utah is the most important game of the year for ASU because, uh, remember, ASU last year had a surprisingly strong win over Utah here, which sort of suggests that ASU's defense has a good idea of how to take on Utah. And uh, but we're going to see if ASU has the offensive potency to be able to play the way that it did in that game. The tough thing that I, I'm looking at, if I'm ASU, you got Washington State, Utah, and Oregon. Okay, Utah obviously the hardest one I'd say on the road, and then you got Oregon at home. You got to probably win at least two of those games if you want to win the Pac-12 South. Yeah, see, I think I think if ASU beats Utah but loses the other two and then wins out, ASU actually can win the league in a. In a Three, three loss tie. Yeah, three. tie. Like, that's possible, right? That's why I say that you really can't lose to Utah because then right. the odds are you're going to probably have a three loss or more and you're not going to have any tiebreaker scenario. What do you guys think about how it shapes up? Yeah, and just circling back to that point about um, Utah that you made, in the last two meetings that ASU has had with Utah, they picked off Tyler Huntley a total of six times. So for he's really struggled against four ASU. times two years ago when he was uh, came off the bench. Yeah, exactly. And and with that too, just a week to week basis, how are things going to play out? That that's the big thing that's kind of I guess maybe hindered or affected my judgment of this race is that things are changing so much. Um, Jacob and I we both expected UCLA to go be Arizona without its starting quarterback and running back, and then that didn't happen. So who got that one right against the spread? Oh, it was me. I think that was you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's just so many uh, things changing on a week-to-week basis, but I do think that Utah game for ASU is really going to play a big factor in the Pac-12 South. Uh, that might be the game that, that could decide it, and, and those are some things to look at with it. Who wins the South? I think it's Utah. I, I think Utah is still the strong. You basically said everything that I would have said about Utah and more. I, I think that Utah is the strongest team in the, in the Pac-12 South, but I think that, like you said, Chris, if ASU can put together – the rest of the schedule in a way where they beat Utah, they do have a chance at winning with the three game tiebreak, three loss tiebreaker. I don't think it's far fetched that ASU can win the South. I also don't think it's going to be them that does it. However, I will say that I'm 0 2 when picking against ASU. Who's the next most likely team other than Utah? It's I ASU. think ASU. It's ASU. Trevor, what do you I'd think? I'd say ASU as well. I'm going to be the guy that's not going to answer your question, but it's going to say the winner of the Pac 12 South is going to win on October 19th in Utah. It's going to be either ASU or Utah. Whoever wins that game is my Pac 12 South champion. Um, I can and see I, that. And I feel pretty good about that. I could see that. Okay. And, and what about um, before the season? Um, Rob, you had ASU eight and four. Jacob, Trevor, and I all had ASU seven and five, right? 
So now I think that you would put the over under on ASU's win total at maybe like seven and a half. Mm-hmm. Right now, what do you guys think? Are, is, is it is, is I'm it more feeling like, pretty good? Is it more likely for ASU to go eight and four or seven and five? What do you think right now? I, I would probably take the over if it was at seven and a half. I think that eight and four is is pretty likely just given what they've been able to do in these first couple the, through five weeks. They're four and one, so you're looking at a pretty horrible rest of the season coming out of the bye week if you're gonna not you you got to be bad to, to go seven and five on the season so i'm actually i would say i'm more confident in rob's pick so but but eight and four means four losses in the pac-12 and asu loses to utah and yes that which got would it. which would hold true with what i just said well, yeah yeah going into the bye week i thought that asu was going to be three and two at this point so they're a game above what i had projected going i thought the michigan state game would be a loss and you know they actually had a, they had a chance of being five and oh right now I, I think i would definitely take the over um and move toward rob what what you had said about eight wins and, and going in that direction big R- shot rob R- huh? what do you think now though rob do you are you now i would more get bullish? closer to nine I would get closer to nine wins now. Okay, well, I think that let's put you on the spot. Well, do you think do you think it will be nine or eight right now? Mm, that's tough. I I lean towards saying nine, but I also the fact that there's so many freshmen and that Jane Daniels is a freshman. I keep waiting for the guy to slip up, and he just hasn't done it. If you're putting me on the spot right now, I'm saying the team finishes nine and three this okay, year. Okay. Well, let me just throw some more um, stuff to consider into this, right? And then, are you gonna pick? Yeah, ASU okay. has to go to UCLA. That's that's tough. Like ASU has though those games have tended to be very hard fought. Okay, over the years and yeah, okay. I'm like, pretty confident in that game for for uh, for ASU. Well, that doesn't that shouldn't make all oh, the fans listening confident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. hey, I don't know. I'm four one picking ASU this year. <laughs> you 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 have kind of been random, right? Sometimes you're right. Yes. <laughs> sometimes woo, sometimes way off, right? Uh, USC could be tough here. Not saying it will be, but you got Slovis back, and let's say they get into a rhythm. We know that USC's defensive front is really, really imposing yeah. against ASU's offensive line, right? That's a, That could be an issue. That'll be a fun game to watch. Okay. So, and then Oregon here. That's Oregon is probably the best team in the conference, right? So that means that's a, a game. That, I don't know whether Oregon here – it's tougher than Utah here, but I think it's kind of close overall. I think the ESPN FBI FPI has the Oregon being a little bit tougher, right, Trevor? Yeah, it, I think they're at 20%, and then the Utah game is about 22. Okay, so that's close. Now, ASU should beat Oregon State on the road. Not, a, not necessarily a gimme game. We know ASU fans are remember what happened when ASU ranked team went up there and lost to an inferior team several years ago. Um, and then uh, Arizona being here. I think ASU is better, but you know, the territorial cup, you never know. Okay, I think I think eight wins probably is slightly more likely than seven wins. I think nine is still the third most likely outcome, but I think it's a hard path, a really hard path, actually, to nine wins. C- correct me if I'm wrong, but was your second most likely record when we were doing the the preseason podcast? Did you say nine and three? No, no. he was seven and five. Then he was eight and four. Okay. I was eight and right, four, yeah. nine and three, and then seven and so five. So actually, what I thought. Um, might happen is sort of played out the the way I, I what I said at the time was the the matchups early in the season were kind of favorable for ASU Michigan State and Cal although good solid tough teams stylistically were a good fit for ASU and then Colorado get, getting that game at home versus on the road that should have been a win so I th- actually did think it was very possible 
for ASU to be four and one right now. But then I just saw the meat of the schedule and I was like, Oh, they could lose like easily, you know, five out of seven games or something like that. What's four, interesting four to me seven. though, is ASU would be in such a better position if they would have lost to Michigan state and, and beaten Colorado than people are going to understand because you know, you go in, you beat a top 15 team on the road. Looks really great. That doesn't help when you're trying to win the Pac-12 South. It's a lot, it would have been a lot more valuable for Definitely. them to have a closely lost at Michigan State and then beaten Colorado, yep. for sure. But, you know, you, you can't get everything you want in life, Rob. I'll pose a quick question to the, to the group here. Next four games, Washington State at home, Utah on the road, UCLA on the road, USC at home. What is ASU's record through the next four games? I'll, Chris, you go first. I think ASU will probably split those games, and that'll be so that'll be six and three at that point in the season. Trevor, putting him on the spot. I, I, His algorithm isn't prepared. I know I, I can't do all that so quickly, <laughs> but I, I'd say two and two would probably be the safest thing as well. I, I see a shot at three and one, but two and two just with how difficult that can be is what, what I'll I'll say it'll be. I would, I think two and two is probably the most likely. I would tend to go three and one there. Ooh, I think that. I think What's you, the third I, I, win? The the third win. I I think that I think there's a a, a Washington good chance. State UCLA USC. I I think that yeah. I, I think that Washington State or Utah is a loss. I don't know which one specifically. I think sometimes ASU really gets up to play Utah, and sometimes it really does not. So let I, me put it to you just like this: If it's three and one, ASU is in pretty good yeah shape. And if three and one includes Utah, they're then, in really then good they're shape. In great shape. So. I, I was going to say three and one. I think that they lose to Utah, though. I think it's the one is to Utah. Okay. I, I think they beat Washington State here. I think they lose to Utah on the road. Well, let's just let me just put it to you like this. ASU is probably roughly 50-50 against Washington State, UCLA, and USC. So three and one is saying... You beat I, all I just teams that I, right I think that I think are. that the problem is is well first of all Washington State has not done anything to impress me in the last two weeks. Two, I think that scoring sixty something points. They still have Mike you? Leach and a great I, 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 you lost. To, they, they lost UCLA. They, they scored gave up sixty something points. They their gave up sixty seven. Their offense. Their quarterback had nine touchdowns. But you're gonna. That's not but, impressive. But it is impressive. But you're gonna. They're gonna come and they're gonna play an ASU defense that has an opportunity to potentially. Calm that down a significant amount. You would at least, didn't if you are an ASU fan, you would hope. Calm down Montez well enough. Sure, and 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 yes, of course. But you can also look at this and say that that was a that could have easily been chalked up to just a poor fluke game. That even Danny Gonzalez said they weren't prepared for it. Chase Lucas gave up two big plays on one drive against Cal, which is not a I potent offensive. Totally team. understand that. Just saying, just I, just talk, just no. no. Playing devil's advocate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I get right. that. But I, I do think that with, with ASU having the home territory, they're going to be able to play Washington State here. They're, they have been playing well. We've, we've kind of covered that throughout this entire podcast. I think if they can beat Washington State, it's 3-1 and one over the next four games. Well, I think we know that you're definitely going to pick ASU to beat Washington State. Yes, because yeah. I'm 0-2 in my safe. last two against ASU picks. Uh, and 0-2. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, that maybe shows a little... 
fly on the ointment. It, it's not working so well. <laughs> okay. I, my, well, my entire pick the pack thing has been a disaster. All right, we're moving on from Rudd. <laughs> Chris, After, take us Rudd, home, baby. Rudd, go, Rudd goes, uh, I've been terrible, but let me just tell you all this sort of analysis that I have here about well, watching yeah, yeah, but that's that's <laughs> what the betting – well, okay, my straight-up record, we okay, should clarify okay. now. This no, is we, not the Jacob Rudner podcast. Chris. We are clarifying. No, Chris, Chris, please take us home. I don't really have that much else for you, Rob. We – we let it we let it loose a little bit in, on the podcast. A little bit of a almost like an unfiltered vibe to the way we end. There's the going to be some unfiltered podcasts coming up. I have a feeling there might be one uh, after Utah actually with uh, the current doggy woof woof. There's a chance of that. I think we'll definitely get a unfiltered on the way back from UCLA. <laughs> I think <laughs> uh, after Arizona. And sorry, Mason, for Rob, you know, embarrassing you on the podcast. He loves it when I call him that. Uh, that's going to take does. us home, though, on this podcast. For site publisher Chris Cartman and reporters Jacob Rudner and Trevor Booth, I'm your host, Rob Warner, saying so long, and thank you for tuning in.